over to Genesis chapter 26. Let me just share a few thoughts with you this morning, if I can. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, probably more than that now, I lose a bit of track of time. Uh, but the Lord began to talk to me. It was just, I was sitting over, actually, over at the tabernacle in one of the, one of the uh, service pastors' meetings that were over there. And he began to talk to me about this situation that I'm just going to read the scripture verse to you. And I didn't quite understand why God was talking to me about it. Sometimes I don't. I know, I'm, I know you all think I'm... Well, I am, but the, uh, sometimes it takes me a bit to understand what God is talking about. So if you're like me, you just kind of let it sit there, and all of a sudden, out of a little study that you do three or four months ago, I'll, then you get ready for a church service, and he says, okay, now we want to talk about this. And that's how God is talking to me a little bit about where we are at right now. As you remember, I'm talking about this concept of eternal life. I don't think that the concept of eternal life, if you look at all the scriptures in the New Testament, then you're going to run into a few problems if you think that eternal life is just, I get to go to heaven when I die. Now, it does talk about that. Jesus does refer to eternal life, and he talks about heaven, and he talks about the life after we are finished with this one on this earth. But there's too many scriptures in the New Testament that don't talk about eternal life in the context of, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And so I'm, and I'm going to present to you uh, that God is actually talking about something different than just, you get to go to heaven when you die. And so we're going to try to investigate a little bit of that concept this morning. But we're back here now, the scripture that the Lord brought me to was back in Abraham's day, if you're in Genesis chapter 26, and I'm going to start reading from verse 15 there. Uh, now, Genesis chapter 26, now, just to give you a context, the, Abraham's life was really mostly from Genesis chapter 12 until Genesis chapter 21, at which time Isaac is born, and now we're over in Genesis chapter 26, and we're dealing with this fellow Isaac in his life. And if you at all remember the scripture that talks about, remember, Isaac sowed in a time of famine. Do you remember that scripture? Well, that's the beginning of, of chapter 26. So we know that Isaac at this time is an adult and he is, you know, busy with his own life and the things of his own life. And so here we pick him up uh, in verse 15. It says, now the Philistines, after Abraham had gone, had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Now this is because he had sown in the time of famine, remember, and he got a hundredfold and he became rich and everybody got mad at him for, let's not go there. Uh, Abimelech says to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of warning water there. But the herdsmen, now Isaac runs into his own issue here, and the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. Remember the same kind of thing happened with Abraham, by the way? The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and saying, the water is ours. And so he called the name of that, that well Essek because they quarreled with him. And then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. And so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well 
and they did not quarrel over that one. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, from, the, from now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What the Lord began to talk to me about was Abraham's ability to go and dig wells wherever he went. So if you remember the story of Abraham, he would go to this place and then they would quarrel. So he'd then go to another place where there wasn't a well. And he'd say, okay, there's a bunch of dry rocks in this area. And then Abraham decides at that time, I'm going to dig another well. And sure enough, he digs the well and there's water there. And then they get mad at him, and then they get mad at him, and then they get mad. He keeps moving all around what is a desert. If you've been to the, the promised land, <clears throat> you know that this area that Abraham is in is filled with rocks and lots of sun. But when Abraham goes there, he digs and finds a well. He finds water at the bottom of this well. And he does that everywhere he goes. A lot of the reason now that Abraham became, as the Bible talks about him, very rich was because he had water. You know, gold was an important thing in those days, but you can't drink gold. You can't eat it. The most important commodity in the days of antiquity are, was water. And the more, the, when you had a well, you became a wealthy person just simply because you could then create the agricultural community around the water. God somehow empowered Abraham, wherever he went, he would just dig a hole, and at the bottom of that hole, he would find water. <coughs> and what the Lord began to talk to me about was, now I, haven't, I don't really, I'm just going to give you what he said. I don't have any archaeological evidence of this. But what the Lord said to me was, he said, there's a river beneath the wilderness in the Middle East. And that river meanders through the Middle East, but it's underneath the sand. Now, I don't know if you understand how those things work geologically, but underneath all of the crust that we see, there are all kinds of rivers and aquifers and pots of water and all of these type of things all over the place. And what the Lord began to talk to me about was that when Abraham was moving under the direction of the Lord, just what would appear to be wandering in the desert, he was wandering in the desert to another place where the river was. And when he would dig down, he would tap into the river again. And then he would get moved on and then he'd go somewhere else and he'd tap into the river again. And so wherever this underground river runs through the promised land, which is now filled in with sand, Abraham was able to tap into that. Now, I'm wondering, you're probably wondering, what the heck is he talking about? What I would like to talk to you about today is that, in fact, that is a shadow and type of the spiritual world that we are living in right now. That right below us, parenthetically, parabolically, there is a river that flows a river of supernatural water. And that as we tap into that river, just like Abraham, doesn't matter if there's famine, doesn't matter if there's whatever that's going on on the surface, that as we go wherever we go, we can tap into the river beneath. Or as we should more accurately say it in the New Testament, the river within. But the shadow and type of what Abraham was doing 
was that no matter where he would go, all, he knew all I need to do is send a tap down and at the bottom of that tap will be everything that I need in order to prosper in a desert. Now, most of us say, well, we don't live in a desert. Well, you do live in a desert. The world around us is a world filled with dead and dying things. And what we are called to do as the kingdom of God is we are called as a people, like what Bishop said on Sunday, this concept of the river within, Christ within, the, the Holy Spirit within, the power within, the supernatural within. Our job as New Testament Christians is to release that power within, release the God within that transforms the world around us, that, that is a dead and dying place, that is full of lack and sickness and death and misery and all of these kind of things. What you're called to do as a Christian, a person who has got the flow of that river within, what we're called to do is when we go where we go, that is our, it is our mandate to just be who we actually are in that environment we find ourselves and out of, the, out of this river that is within, it flows and blesses all those people around us. Amen. One of the keys of Abraham's wealth is that he would have water when nobody else would have water. It's one thing to have water when everybody has water. It's four cents a gallon or so, like we pay here in Fort Erie. But when you got water, nobody got water. Now it's $400 a gallon. Because you can't live without that. That's how a lot of the, lot of the people, the, the wealthy from way back in the old day, these people had wells. It's what they had. And then all the community around them, they were able to be the center of all of that and supply wealth, water, into the lives of so many other people, so many other communities, because they had the water. It's the same type and shadow of what we are called to do in the New Testament as we go wherever we go. Whatever we, whenever we encounter dead and dying, whenever we encounter lack and shortage, well, and whenever we encounter pain and misery, the answer to those things is the river that is within you. It is the Christ within. It is the hope of glory. It is the God answer to every situation. What religion has said is, you know, here's what I need you to do, Michael. I need you to go pray to God. He'll, uh, you know, whatever. Boop -de -doop. That's not the answer. God never intended my answer to Michael's pain is you go pray. Now, you should go pray. But I'm, I'm the answer to Mike's pain. I have God within me. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. Christ lives on the inside of me. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. But that answer, that reality, that flow, that dimension of spirituality, whatever I possess, as I release that into that situation, you have the God factor being released into a dead and dying pain, misery, lack, shortage situation, and that thing becomes transformed. That's what God intended for the New Testament to be all about. What we're going to look at, because of what God is intending on us, really right now focusing our attention onto the words of Jesus. So much of what uh, I think what we have learned 
about our, our responsibility is, as New Testament Christians, my job is to get born again, then I need to find a church, and then I need to make sure I tithe at that church. That was a joke, but <laughs> I'm glad that it wasn't a joke to you since I'm glad you're a tither. But that's about as far as our Christianity has got. That our, you know, when did Jesus come on the inside of me? You know, Jesus comes and lives in my heart because I prayed a prayer one day. That, that's, the Bible doesn't ever say that happened. First of all, Jesus lives in heaven. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus is a human being, just like you. He's not everywhere at all time. He is in one place at one time. He exists as a person. I don't know. If, uh, okay, so we're, uh, how far back do I need to go here? What lives in your heart is the Holy Ghost. I think Pastor Alex said this the other day. Somebody said it the other day, and it was kind of went off just as flat as that. What do you mean? I learned in Sunday school that Jesus lives in my heart. No, Jesus doesn't live in your heart. Jesus lives in heaven. And when he does come back to this earth, he ain't coming back to hang with you. He's coming back to deal with some business with the devil and transform this whole earth. What lives inside of you, and I'm not saying that Christ, oopsie doopsie, I'm not saying Christ within is different than Jesus within. So I'm going to help, try and help you with today. Because Christ within means something other than, Jesus, I invite you to come live in my heart. Right, Liz, I think who said that over here? People think Christ is Jesus' last name. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at when Jesus was here, what did he say his life was all about? Because we would say that it's, if you made a list of what was Jesus' life about, what were Jesus' priorities? Do you know? When he was here and he was uh, ministering on the earth, Jesus had some very pronounced priorities about the things he wanted his disciples. I need you to understand this stuff. And then he said it over and over and over and over and over again because he wanted to make sure that they got this stuff. And then when it comes to the thousands of years now that have gone by since Jesus left, we've somehow made Christianity about other things. Or maybe we didn't. I'm, is it okay to say in, in, in the pink room, is it okay to say that you, you know, that invite Jesus into your heart? <laughs> I'm okay with that. But soon we should talk to them about what the real, the real deal. What is the real Jesus in my heart issue that we have that we can then become those wells of deep water, wells of living water, wells of eternal life that God needs us to be so that when we go into a dead and dying world, we're going there not hoping that they can bless us and send us a check in the mail. We're going there to be able to bless and release that life, release that abundance that eternality into them, into their society, into their businesses, into their families, into their lives, into their children. We're going stocked. All of our, all of our, what do you call it in a gun? All of our, uh, all of our chambers full. We're ready to go. We're ready to release when we leave this place, knowing how to load our gun. We know, knowing how to put the living water in its place so that we have something when we go. We have something to deliver. And so let's look at that. See, Jesus, when he was here, can I tell you something? Jesus wasn't interested in building a church. Not like we know it. 
Jesus never had a building like this. We're happy that we do since we live in a snowy climate or a rainy climate. But Jesus wasn't about that. Jesus wasn't about creating a religion. He wasn't into denominations. He doesn't, he doesn't mind them as long as they don't get in his way. But can I tell you something? We often get in his way. So I'm, I'm a blessed person because I go to Victory Church. I trust that you are blessed and I'm glad that you go to Victory Church. But the blessed is not because you go here. The blessed is because you do the things when you are here that are going to empower the blessing of God to flow into your life. That's the key. And so when Jesus was here, what was, if he wasn't building a church, if he wasn't writing the doctrine statements for the New Testament church, which he wasn't, by the way, Paul did that, a lot of that, what was Jesus doing? What were Jesus's priorities? Can I tell you, his priorities were three things. One, he was talked abundantly about the kingdom of God. Number two, he talked incessantly about his words. Weirdly, actually, about his words. And number three, he was concerned with his disciples. Oftentimes we would say, I don't know if I would make that list. I would say that Jesus was concerned about the church, the ecclesia, the people of God that were coming after. He was concerned about those things, but he didn't talk a lot about that. Compared to how much he talked about the kingdom of God, it's like a hundred to one. We would say that Jesus is all about, I need you to invite me into your heart so that I can live through you. And although that's true, that's not what Jesus talked about. And it's not how he said it. There's, a, there's details to what Jesus was meaning in the words that he was saying. And as we can really understand the words that he was saying, he was, uh, he was releasing the mechanics, the, the understanding of the mechanics of the kingdom of God as he was releasing his words. And we sort of glazed over them as if it's like, oh, Jesus must have been talking about something. Oh, well, children's story. I don't get it. Let's move on. Paul's more fun. And what instead, what Jesus was saying is very, it's very, very important that in the, the words that he was saying, he was releasing an understanding to us about becoming these New Testament people and how that actually happens. And then finally, he was very interested in giving these words to these guys. Like if you're talking, you know, going to Mark chapter 4. Now remember, when we're talking about the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, Matthew 13, Luke 8, we hear those things talked about three times in Scripture. But can I tell you something? The disciples heard them at the beginning of every conference that Jesus did. Everywhere that Jesus went, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He preached about the good news of what he was going to release. These guys had heard those words over and over. You think you've heard them here a lot. You know, this, oh, oh, Pastor Ian's in the pulpit. Turn to Mark chapter 4. <laughs> no, if, if, if you were a disciple of Jesus... You could just say, Jesus is preaching today, open it to Mark chapter 4. You knew he was going to start there. He was going to talk about those things. And in that scripture, he would go and talk to the massive group of people. You think, oh, the massive group, whoop, 
crowds. Jesus didn't really concern himself much with the massive group. He would go out and he'd do his thing and he would go and release the, the story, you know, tell him a little children's story, then he'd leave. He'd walk off stage. And then the disciples now, the people who were really saying, okay, I need to understand. He's, he know, can I tell you, Peter, remember the, 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 the blood, eat my, eat my body and drink my blood? Imagine saying that to a Jewish culture person. And then all of his disciples vanished. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave too? He didn't even care if his own disciples left. And what, is, what was Peter's answer? Do you remember what Peter's answer was? Uh, John chapter 6. He says, Jesus, where would we go? Because you have eternal life. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. It's important what he said. He said, Peter said, Jesus, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm thinking to myself, what is Jesus talking about? You see, when Jesus was releasing these words, he was, he was building the kingdom of God, releasing an understanding of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates. He, would, he was releasing that understanding in words. And his disciples said, Lord, what those words are, those words are the secret codes to releasing eternal life. Not go to heaven when you die. They were releasing eternal life. That eternal life is like a word that says life in its fullest dimension, fullest measure. Like, like abundant, you know, you can see a plant. You know, if you, if, you, if you came to my office and you saw a plant that's in my office, you'd go, that's a sad plant. But if you took that plant and you put it into like the tropics somewhere in a, in a, in a rainforest, that, that, that same plant that's living there, I guess living is a, is a kind word of how you would say, but you put that into the right environment with the right soil and the right sun and the right water and the right temperature and the right everything, that sucker will just blossom, right? Do you understand the difference between life and life? That's what Peter was observing. I see life all over the place. Biological life is everywhere. But you know what biological mortal life, by the definition of it being mortal, is that it's dying. Nobody gets out of here alive. I don't know if you got the memo. Everybody, and that's what everybody sees. <coughs> Natural mortal men see mortal men. What these guys were seeing, is said, Jesus... I imagine, imagine a kosher Jewish person like Peter. And Jesus just said, you need to, in order to be part of me, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. That's like, if that would hit a kosher Jewish person in an intense way. <coughs> and Peter says to Jesus, where would I go? He's observing something. The disciples are observing something. They're, it's like a magnificence of life. It's like a super effervescent, overflowing nuclear power that is flowing from Jesus, like vibrating from him at all times. 
Sick people come around Jesus. He did, Jesus didn't have the, okay, here's the seven points about how you access healing through the, he did, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, come here. The effervescent, overflowing life that was, you get within a hundred feet of Jesus, and that life would, that was actually pretty fun. You should sit there every week, actually. I've got one in my mouth. Sorry, I'm just getting too excited. And what Jesus was doing with his disciples, he was releasing to them words. It's not really words because then we would have to learn Hebrew, right? We don't speak Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. So it's not actually the syllables of the word. Wouldn't help us a lot, right? He's not talking about that. We all need to learn Hebrew is not the answer. It's what, when Jesus was releasing the words, what he's really talking about is perspectives. Concepts. That are different than the concepts the words, the ideas, the perceptions that you would normally get as a mortal human being. And, they, and what, they, what, they, what the disciples were seeing in that <clears throat> was when I got these concepts on the inside of me, or I didn't even do that yet, when I saw the concepts inside of you, Jesus, as you're talking about life, it's, you ever been around a person who's enthusiastic? this is Canada, we don't get enthusiastic about anything. <laughs> when you get around somebody who's enthusiastic, do you know what happens to you? You get enthusiastic. Yeah. Have you ever been around somebody who's depressed? <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, okay, that's a better example, a better parable to tell. <laughs> what they were observing, these disciples, they were observing when they looked at Jesus... They were saying, God, there's some, there's like, what, what the heck? The rich young ruler, the guy that he had lands and money and everything that life could offer him. He says, Jesus, how do I have what you have? Dude. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. This is what was happening. Now, when Jesus, when Jesus was here, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Should we do that? We're a Bible-believing church. John chapter 1. Read John. I haven't spent a lot of time, uh, truth be told, I'm your pastor and all that, but confession time. I haven't really spent a lot of time in the book of John because I like Matthew. I like the kingdom of God. You know, I like, I like Mark, you know, take over the world. I like Luke, detail. Got lots of detail. John, you know, love each other, you know, let's hug, you know, and say, that's not my thing. <laughs> not that I don't mind John, he's a good guy, you know, I'm sure, good guy. But I just haven't spent a lot of time there until I started this journey on this eternal life thing and, and the words. <laughs> so every time I, I, oh yeah, there's that scripture that says, and I look it up on my little cheat, pastor cheat thing, you know, the, the, the iPad. You know where it is? It's in John. 
And then I think of another one, and it's like, I wonder where that is. I think it's in, I think it's in Matthew. It must be in Matthew. It sounds tough. It's got to be Matthew. Oh, it's in John 2. <laughs> this guy, John, his priority, we think it was love. It was love in the other, the little Johns, the other stuff he wrote at the end of the book. If you ever get there, it's there. <laughs> but the, the gospel of John, when he was recounting what Jesus said, it's like, it's like freaky. He always says Jesus was saying words as if we think Jesus would have been saying something else other than words. Maybe he was mumbling or something. He refers to it as, no, Jesus said words. Why did he do that? He starts off, I always thought the book of John starts strange. Don't you think it starts strange? Matthew is good. You know, Jesus came from this person, had bequeathed this person, begat this person, begat that person. That's kind of like, okay, I get that. It's kind of a neat little family tree deal. John didn't start like that. John starts by saying, in the beginning was the word. It was the word. Whose word? God's word. Come on, give me some of that. <laughs> God's word. In the beginning, God's word. Zah, you could say that because it's, he said lots of stuff. So it's plural, but it's kind of like singular in the sense of it's being the fullness. The word became flesh. Who is Jesus. Who was he? This is like, so this is now, it's going off in me, of course, because I've been studying this, but the word of God, everything that God said, all culminated, gathered together, and created this person, Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. When you take a look at, see, the concept of Christ I've been doing a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of research to try and find out what the concept of Messiah, which is the Old Testament word for the New Testament word, Christos, which we say Christ. Can I tell you something? There's not a lot of understanding of what that was. The word, the concept of Messiah is only mentioned two times. Once, actually, in two, two, uh, one passage, Daniel chapter 9. I'm thinking, it says a whole bunch of other things, but that's the commentary where we, where we look back and go, oh, they're talking about the Messiah here. But they never said the word Messiah. The concept of Messiah wasn't a very big concept from the Old Testament scripture. But when, by the time Jesus got here, the concept of the Messiah was a big deal. It was really a big deal. They were waiting, as they are right now. They're waiting for the Messiah. That word Messiah, Christ, simply means anointed. It refers to the God on somebody. Like, that's how they would, I mean, anointed meant that they would pour, take oil and pour oil on you and, and rub it in. Can I rub it in? I'll do it to Mike. <laughs> what, this, what, what, what the concept of Christ is talking about is the God on someone. Or kind of God on is maybe not exactly how we would say it in the New Testament. We would say it like this, God in. The anointing, the, 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 the power of God isn't upon us in the New Testament. It's within us right. in the New Testament. 
that God, God upon or God within is the, is the very loose Ian's translation of the term Christ. And so when you are talking about Christ within, the anointing of God within, the, the God factor on the inside of a human being, that, is, that concept is the concept of Christ. Jesus was the Christ because he was the word of God, the essence of God, personified. He was the, the word of God as it was visible for us to see in our world. The, Christ, the concept of the Christ was that he was going to save the world. The way Jesus said he was going to save the world was he was going to empower the world to be transformed. Remember that scripture in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus said, I don't, need, I don't know if I want those people out there to be able to hear what I'm saying. Because if they hear what I'm saying, then they have the potential to become converted. And then if they're converted, they will be saved. Not converted into the Christian religion. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that the word of God, the truth of the principle, the concept, the perception, as you receive that perception to the, on the inside of you, you become transformed. Then when you are transformed, he says, you're saved. You become saved. Now that doesn't, not the global sense of the word saved. You're saved in that idea, that way of thinking. This is what Jesus said. And when he came to, let me get some more since I hear Liz in the background here. And I told you, John chapter 6, where Peter refers to him, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. In John chapter 17, we talked about this last time I was in the pulpit. Jesus, when he prayed, he very specifically prayed. Now, John chapter 17 is now a very tender and intimate moment with Jesus. We're listening to it from the disciples' perspective, but Jesus is standing there praying to God. And God, he's specifically saying to God, you have given me these words. And I have given these, your, my disciples, the words that you gave me, I gave them. Specifically the words. And now I'm praying for all of the people that these disciples are going to go and take the words that you gave me, that I gave them, that they're about to give to somebody else. I'm thinking to myself, you are like seriously preoccupied with your tape series here, Jesus. You need to move on. Or is what Jesus is saying that the things that I have said to you, the words that I have given you, those words are like abracadabra. You know the story of Alibaba and the 40 thieves? You don't know that story? Do you know the concept of abracadabra? I know, it sounds non-religious, I know. Abracadabra were magic words. And what they did was, when Alibaba got those words, he could say to this wall, you haven't seen the cartoon? He could say to the wall, abracadabra, and the wall would open up, and behind the wall <clears throat> were all these treasures. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what the, the disciples are, are understanding? Is that what they're feeling? That when Jesus was speaking, 
that those words that he was speaking were going to unlock the supernatural river that flows beneath, the, the river that flows within us. That as we receive, we begin to believe those words that we have this supernatural ability that all of a sudden we access. We don't even know we were going to access it. Alibaba didn't know. He just said the words. He didn't know what was behind that wall. Is that what's going on with the disciples? They're realizing that the words of Jesus are unlocking something. When Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, do you remember the story? In John chapter 11, thank you. In John chapter 11, Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb. On the way there, Lazarus' sister Martha interrupts him and is kind of mad at him. Jesus, if you would have been here, I, I can feel the, can you feel the pain of the, the grief? Martha, Jesus turns to Martha and said, Martha, what is your, what is your problem? Your, your brother sleeps. And Martha says back to him, Jesus, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, someday in the great resurrection of all of us, we're, he's going to come back to life or something like that. But everybody knew that. They argued about it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, some believe, some don't believe. You know, Jesus would say, you know, you don't get married. You know, whose wife would she be? Remember all that stuff? They knew that there was going to be a resurrection. That's what Martha was talking about. But Jesus interrupts her and says, Martha, you, don't you understand? I'm not talking about Lazarus coming forth in the, in the great resurrection someday. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, listen to me. I, Jesus speaking, I am the resurrection. Eternal power. Supernatural life. Fullness like mega nuclear life. Jesus is saying, it's, that's inside of me. You get within a hundred yards of me, Jesus said. You may have some dead going on in you, but that dead can't stay. Because when this life hits that dead, when this abundance hits that lack, when this health hits that sickness, you don't, you don't, e you don't even have to come within 20 feet. That stuff's going to hit. You're going to get all over you. You want to stay dead? You better not be around here. He was saying, Martha, this is resurrection life. This is life in its magnificence. It's life like God has it. When God wakes up in the morning, this is how he feels. Able to leap. No. That's what Jesus was saying. And Jesus turns to Martha. And he says, Martha, do you believe this? What was Jesus saying to Martha? He was saying, I am the son of God. Lots of smoke, lots of LED lights. If only you could experience awesome, 
You just feel the thunder in the reverb of his microphone, the awesomeness of God. Oh. If only you could experience this power. That was what Jesus was saying. He was saying, Martha, if you believe this, the same thing you are about to witness, when death gets anywhere near this life, the same thing that is going on inside of me right now because Jesus is saying, I am the, I have become the word of God. Or the word of God has become me or something. He was saying, this is what the word of God does inside of a human being. It's like a nuclear bomb reactor on the inside of me. The energy, the life that the words of God produce when they get on the inside of a human being are explosive. They're dynamo. Said Martha, if you can believe that that same life is on the inside of you. Abraham, if you believe that wherever I send you, just dig down. Because there is a river beneath you. Just like in each one of our lives. If we can understand how to dig down, how to dig within to the life, the words of God that have become who we are. They have been implanted into us. Martha, can you believe? And like that sign says, what will happen What if, Martha, what if you believe? Jesus' ministry was all about getting the words of God that he had heard from the Father through his mouth into the ears and then heart of his disciples so that then they could come out of their disciples' mouth into the heart and life of another person. And this supernatural, eternal, magnificent fullness of life fills the heart of every single human being on the planet. Put your hand over your heart and say, Jesus, I know that you filled me with your words. Over and over, you've spoken to me. Life. I know that life produces super abundant life on the inside of me. And now I purpose to release my words, my abundant life words, into my life and into the lives 
of those people that you're bringing me to. When I release those words, death is overcome with life. Sickness is overcome with health. Lack is overcome with abundance. Misery is overcome with blessing. That's all because of the words of God planted on the inside of a human being, causing that human being to overflow with abundant life. In Jesus' name.